Thank you for coming tonight for the final review program of 2009. That doesn't mean we're not going to be having any more. We'll start up again in January. We're just going to take a month off. Um, you may have noticed that our galleries are dark, and they'll be reopened again in February for the 185th annual. It's an invitational exhibition of contemporary American art, an intergenerational dialogue where American art lives. With this exhibition, we affirm our commitment to showing emerging, mid-career, and celebrated artists to provide a broad overview of the American art being produced today. Over the past decade, the Invitational has become a forum that reflects the diversity of American art and from which the Academy has drawn much of its recent membership. The exhibition will include an extensive series of public programs. These will include evening docent tours, gallery talks, panel discussions, and a public lecture. Those of you who purchased a paid museum admission this evening received a pass, look like this. Um, and that will entitle you to a complimentary visit for two to the National Academy when we open again and have um, galleries. Those of you who didn't pay for admission get in free anyway, <laughs> so you don't have to worry. Um, we hope you return in February to take advantage of our great lineup and programs and to visit the exhibition. As we move on to tonight's programming, please allow me to remind you to turn off your cell phones and leave us with your email addresses on your way out the door. There'll be someone at the table where you came in where you can leave a, um, contact information. Bringing relevant programming to the public is integral to our mission to play a critical role in preserving and fostering the visual arts in America. Tonight's program, we hope, exemplifies this ideal. The review panel is a joint presentation with Art Critical Magazine and the National Academy Museum, Art Critical Archives, recordings of past review panels, which can be accessed by you at artcritical.com slash review panel. Um, we have Graham White, a recording engineer back there, to thank. He's got his hands over his ears, so he's not listening, but we'd like to thank him <laughs> for his tireless efforts on that our behalf. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs, the New York State Council on the Arts for supporting quality public programs like this one. The review panel is the brainchild of tonight's moderator, David Cohen. David is the gallery director of the New York Studio School and editor and publisher of artcritical.com. Um, he will introduce our esteemed panelists tonight, and um, so I'll turn the mic over to David. So help me give a warm welcome, David Cohen and panel. Thank you very much, Sandy, and all the staff here at the National Academy for your wonderful hospitality and efficiency. So um, who's here at the review panel for the first time? Right, OK. So uh, that's, actually a, that's actually academic in a way, because um, we're changing the format a little this evening. <laughs> The, uh, what we're doing is we're going to see one film that shows us all of the uh, four exhibitions that we're looking at, and then we're going to have discussion among ourselves on those four exhibitions, and then we're going to have a lively debate into the rest of the night, for as long as you fancy talking about it, or I let you talk about it, um, on those four exhibitions. So slight variance on what you might be used to, which is... Um, 
that little break in the middle for, for letting off steam. So hold your thoughts on all the shows we're talking about, and we'll talk about them again one by one with our audience. Great. Well, it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome this evening's panelists from my far left onwards. And it, it is, indeed, is indeed the far left. We have the art critic of the nation, uh, Barry Schwabsky, who besides his uh, long and distinguished career as an arts uh, art writer and uh, former editor, indeed, of Arts Magazine and other posts, um, is, is also a distinguished poet. Uh, Barry lives in London. He is uh, uh, co-editor of the International Review section of Art Forum. And as a poet, his most recent uh, collection, uh, book, Left Open in the Rain, is published by Black Square Editions and the Brooklyn Rail. Leslie Cammy has written about art, film, books, and travel for the New York Times, The Village Voice, Vogue, and numerous other publications. Her blog on art and culture to be published on the website of the New York Times' Tea Magazine will debut in two weeks' time, so eyes skinned for that. She is currently at work on a book about the muses of Yves Saint Laurent. Katie Siegel is a professor of art history and chief curator of the galleries, at Hunter College. She's editor-in-chief of Art Journal, a recent uh, appointment, and contributing editor at Art Forum. She's written extensively on modern and contemporary art, including two forthcoming books, one on abstract expressionism and the other detailing the intersection of European modernism and American culture in contemporary art. A very distinguished panel. Please welcome them, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I was pleased to notice our youngest um, member of the audience just arrived um, for the review panel. And we're very pleased to cater to all ages. Uh, by youngest, I'm not referring to the one inside anybody's tummy at the moment, but to the little boy sitting on the back row. Just to warn his parents, in case they don't know, uh, we're about to see the film. And uh, neither the National Academy nor I want to spend too much time in a federal penitentiary, so uh, perhaps we should warn you that the first two, at least, exhibitions contain some imagery of an erotic well, nature. Well, I wouldn't go well. that far. Well, we'll debate. <laughs> we will be debating whether or not it's erotic. Um, and more to the case, uh, your child may be disturbed by some images of chopped down trees in the uh, David Hockney section. So <laughs> in the interest of uh, preserving that innocent young mind, uh, you might want to put a pillowcase over his head at this stage. So, uh, great. For the rest of us, it's an um, exciting moment. We can watch our first X-rated review panel <laughs> preview. Should we, if we want to see it, should we be we, in the audience? Yes. Or, uh, well, we can stand back a bit, yes. Yes, I'd love to actually see it again.
there no sound on it? Yeah, but we need the sound. So turn the volume on, please. If possible. Do you want to go forward with the net? Yes.
fantastic. Um, big round of applause, please, for Lauren Monk, James Kahn, for <laughs> producing that very vivid account. The uh, Sterling Ruby, in particular, I think, was uh, uh, augmented by that <laughs> passerby in the last frame, I think, uh, adding another layer to that uh, complex image. So. Um, Let's get down to business. Uh, Leslie, uh, Tracy Emin, is she the Egon Sheila for the 21st century? <laughs> oh. Uh, well, her line and Sheila's line have something, you know, formally in common. I hadn't really thought about, thought about them as a pair, but um, I mean, when I, I actually visited the, that show with a friend and... Um, whose response, you know, and I had, I had written about her, I had interviewed her uh, when she represented uh, England, uh, Great Britain, I guess, at the Venice Biennale two years ago, and um, I was describing this, and uh, his response was, well, if for an empire that fucked the world, <laughs> you know, it was great to have her as a representative. Um, but, you know, that how does unrestrained feminine sexuality get to represent the nation? That's a really interesting question with Tracy Eamon mm. for me. Um, I don't know if anybody has... Barry, you're now living in Britain amidst all those YBAs. Uh, you pass them <laughs> in the street every day, I'm sure. Um, how does, uh, how does, how does uh, your time in Britain, has you, have you deepened or uh, a respect for Tracy Eamon or is it where it was when you arrived? How's, mm. how's your, how does Tracy Eamon, more to the point, uh, how does how does this last show um, uh, figure in your thinking about this artist? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've I've been interested in some of her work for a long time. I always, actually, I thought her early videos were were her best work. Um, but uh, but there is something uh, in her drawings as well that um, that attracts me, and. Uh, you know, it's the kind of nervous, scratchy quality of the line and the, this uh, kind of indirect sort of monoprint uh, method that she uses uh, to make them that kind of uh, puts that energy at a little bit of a, a distance uh, somehow. So I think there's, there's a kind of interesting double consciousness uh, there in, in the drawings, actually. Yes. Um, Katie, uh, the Tracy Eamon who burst on the scene with uh, her, her, the bed uh, work and the, the tent, sadly destroyed, and the Saatchi fire, uh, in which it embroidered the names of everyone I've ever slept with, apparently, um, uh, is, is something of the, the, the bad girl Tracy Eamon who, who where many of us are familiar with, uh, do you think she's this this latest show and, and the direction of her art shows her calming down? Do we do we see uh, quite a sedate Tracy Eamon, or is this, is there a power to shock, or what what was your what was your take on the um, what was what was the impact of the show for you? Well, I I don't like her very much, and I agree with Barry that the early video work is the best work, and some of that is that was actually quite terrific in in some ways. But so what what interested me about that and with respect to your question I guess was um, that she's middle-aged and so that's a terrible problem for especially for a woman artist 
um, especially one who has built her career in some way on herself. I mean, for her, her almost entirely on herself and her persona. And the problems of a young woman are broadly interesting to our culture, especially if those problems, you know, involve rampant fucking. You know, so so the problems of middle-aged women are less in interesting um, to this culture. And you see Cindy Sherman struggling with the same thing. You see Lisa Use Cabbage, and they incorporate those issues into their into their work. And I thought. Hers had a weird back and forth between sort of references to things that had happened long ago, still in, you know, which... There was old and new know. work in the show as yeah. well. Don't yeah, you think so, but it was back and forth. I'm not sure those new problems came up convincingly. Don't you think that's a problem for every woman artist in the art world, though, whether their work references themselves or, um, or not? I mean, that, that, you know, I mean, the, the thing is that it's okay. It can be okay if you're young, and then if you hold on until you're in your... 70s or 80s, you might have another blast of attention and commercial success. Mm. But you know, middle that middle that mm. that long, uh, you know, in the, the middle of our stick. life. Yes, mm. it's a dark wood between for many, a, between <laughs> many women artists. For, for for most men artists yeah. as well. Let's yeah, let's say it's, it's very oh, really? hard. It's very hard to be a middle middle aged. Artist, and uh, I'm, I'm extremely distressed to hear that an artist born in the same year as me is now classed as middle-aged. But, um, I, but that's my personal angst. Mm -hmm. But surely Louise Bourgeois shows that you can carry on to an extremely oh, venerable age. Yes, but there's this long, there's this 40-year desert, you know, where mm -hmm. she was making work but not getting any public attention. But then again, the work is you know? about herself, and so for all mid-career artists, there's nowhere to show, nobody cares, everyone's bored. But for women who are making specifically work about themselves, if they are left with a a problem, and but, so many they stop performing or whatever. But, but can I say that uh, this sort of general situation, I think, is, is certainly the case. But um, for Tracy Emin in particular, mm -hmm. um, it might, at least within her British context, it might be less of an issue so far. There's uh, there's tremendous interest in her and everything right. that she does. She's a very bankable name in the tabloid press. But it's such a strain. You can see there's something mm -hmm. pathetic about it. Her trying to still be drunk in public or going, she keeps saying, I'm going to be shocking. I'm going to see something shocking. I don't think Nobody so. Nobody wants to see you take off your shirt when you're 50. She, you know? she, doesn't, she doesn't do that, though. <laughs> she doesn't do that. She hosts a she TV show, doesn't everything she? Everything is she, she writes a, um, she writes a. She has, up until very recently, written a column for The Independent. She's, mm. she's kind of an interesting writer. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, in a, uh, Holly Brubach wrote a, I don't know if people saw her column about Tracy Eamon in the Times Magazine a couple of weeks ago, but she said, well, she always, she publishes her, her work as an artist, and you can get away with so much as, you know, if you're publishing writing as an artist, people don't look to it for literary quality or, but I think that there is a, you know, her writing informs her work also and her relationship to language. Mm -hmm. and, um, her Venice Finale I mean, show, which I, I saw, um, was was a surprising experience. I mean, she was, I think, um, next to Sophie. Sophie Carl looked a lot more radical and, and daring next to her. But Oy. but equally self-absorbed. <laughs> equally self-absorbed. I'm not against self-absorption. But, but, but <laughs> what, what, I, what was striking is that she was doing some very lyrical painting in, in the British Pavilion, which almost, if, if you, I mean, had a little bit of sex going on it, but it was, it was, it was more like a sort of 
uh, Cy Twombly with a little bit of sex in it. Added. was too much like Cy Twombly. Mm. Well, uh, maybe Cy Twombly would agree with you, but um, I, I noticed an interest, a, a renewed interest, a new interest in in very painterly formal issues in, in, in her work. And this work, which this show, which both includes some, some older work, but um, it, it does seem to go back, and also without animation, to what I think was actually her most interesting work, which predated those early videos, and those were those very, the, the etchings and the very kind of personalist, um, diaristic kind of uh, uh, confessional uh, drawings. Um, what do we make of the stitching, though? What is the stitching about? It's classically feminine form, isn't it? I mean, it references, you know, uh, art history, <laughs> you know, feminine production in art history. From, uh, uh, you know, it's but it's also it's of a piece with her neon. I mean, I I, mm -hmm. I I go back and forth with her work, but I I can't stop looking at it. You know, I mean, I trying to puzzle it out, and uh, you know, I I, I was again. interested in the sort of transcendent quality mm -hmm. of the neon. Yes, um, but as opposed to this. Yes. Yeah, ahead. but again, it's a, the the idea of taking the uh, you know the personal signature, you know, the mm. handwriting, the phonetic, uh, mm. and but then mediating it, mm -hmm. you know, having it translated into a you know neon tube in the one yes. case, or or embroidering it in the other, so that it's actually made with a gesture that doesn't. Mm -hmm. Doesn't Isn't the gesture that, that febrile quality? Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't. It's not literally the handwriting. Yes, although in mm -hmm. fact both the neon and the stitching are handwriting, and the neon is is script, mm -hmm. and the stitching conveys. It has a sort of inherent awkwardness mm -hmm. to perhaps extend what would no longer be an authentic awkwardness in the hand. Is but that just, it distracts you from the fact that it's not so interesting as drawings. And I thought the Venice show was so bad and and was poorly received. So I, you know thought she's doing something else. Mm -hmm. I thought that's what I thought it was to So it's just a strategy. It's just yeah. a, a technical strategy to divert attention well, from... I don't know, but that's... But she's done embroidery. She did embroidery before yeah, Venice, didn't she? Had, like she the other, the last show, yeah. yeah. Well, the yeah. tent, of course, was embroidered. Yes, of course. The didn't stand by themselves, I thought. The, sorry? The drawings don't stand by themselves. Mm. I find them they, tedious. You don't think perhaps they could do if they were let to stand by themselves? Is that a possibility? I, I don't know. It's a little I, thin. Works yeah, a little it's a thin. thin. It's not even like thin. it's so but egregiously bad. You just see so mm. much other work that's by people who can draw, like probably many people in this room, and this is the social resources concentrated in this one person who mm. can draw okay. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's sort of appalling. Right. But it's, but it's not, I mean, it's sort of you, her, her persona and her work are really inseparable. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, it's not. I mean, the one. It's it's all in. It's all about context, isn't it? In some ways. I mean, the. You know, a, a, a work as a total, not as like one drawing here or there. No, but I mean, you would. They wouldn't stand up. I think without this whole. Right. The part of the context is all the money that's put into her and all the attention that she's gotten. You know, in, here and in England, I think that's why she keeps complaining that she's not getting enough attention. That she doesn't get so much attention here because without that surround of her as a celebrity, the work itself is not so interesting. But does that make it, but isn't that, does that make it, does that denigrate it to say that it's part of that whole thing? It's part of her persona. Well, I mean, there's a whole show in London about, 
artist personas, right? Mm -hmm. But also, there's, there's, there's countless artists since the 60s, and, and indeed earlier, for whom Leslie's making a very valid point, that uh, that old connoisseurial notion that one individual work can and ought to speak for, its, for, for the whole career, or for the whole artist, or the whole endeavor, um, is no longer fair or tenable, because uh, there's, a, there's a culture underneath this work. I don't personally like that culture, but there is that culture underneath this work that says it's, it's a kind of uh, old-fashioned connoisseurial formalism to think that, the one, that, that there's somehow the DNA of the whole artist is in any one given work and context. I mean, for instance, with Bruce, Bruce Nauman comes to mind with, mm -hmm. uh, with the neon pieces, obviously, from a, from a technical point of view. Um, there, are, there last, are many Bruce Nauman. His last drawing show was terrible too. He yes. had a show at Speroni Westwater. It was just, it was embarrassing. Well, sad. But he yes. wasn't, he wasn't trying to say, "Look, I'm me. I'm a. This is my personal but in gesture." Fairness, and mm. in fairness, those mm. were, that was a, a dealer show mm -hmm. of what are clearly preparatory drawings, mm -hmm. feeding a market, an yeah. insatiable market for anything from his hand or with his name on it. Mm -hmm. But uh, with with Emin, um, drawing is a mode of expression. So I think it's fair to judge that. So it, it mm. would be, yes, yes. Um, but how about that animation, uh, which will segue us nicely or not into <laughs> Sterling Ruby in a moment. Uh, does, does the animation, um, is that where her heart is? Is that, is that a little more moving? It, just, it seems like just an experiment, really. Uh, the... I think the drawings kind of lend themselves to that. They're they're kind of repetitive in themselves. Yes. Anyway, and I think once you notice that, you realize that you could use that and 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 work with it in that in right. that manner. But it's no Kentridge. Right? <laughs> well, that's uh, for good and bad, both. But, yes. Uh, yes. But I I don't know. I'm I'm just really struck, Katie, with with uh, the fact that you. Uh, want to somehow make the fact that she's financially successful a negative reflection on her work. I think it's part of the context, and I think that's not my invention. I think that's the way that she's always dis discussed. And so, but I think it's completely fair, and I think it's the way a lot of artists look at things, to go into a show and say, you know, what kind of social resources went, in, went into this and are given to this? and and where does the work stand? And so a modest, a modest show of you know decent work, mm -hmm. you know that's one thing. And a and a very weak show where that's given a lot of support and attention, I think it's what's what's why is that not fair game to? I can't stop thinking about that when I if go you, into that expensive you, if, gallery. Well, mm -hmm. you know, I think I think if you want to be a critic, you have to because oh, um, yeah. because uh, you could take the you know five of those. Gal, you know, drawings and put them in a storefront gallery uh, in Williamsburg, and they—I don't think they would be any better, and I don't think they'd be any worse. They'd just be the drawings mm -hmm. uh, that they are. And it's fine for you to say that they're—they're they're not that good, but um, but they're—it mm. can't—it just can't be the case that they're worse because because mm. some other people like them a lot more and are willing to pay a lot of money for them. I think you know who people are when you go into a gallery. You know how much the gallery floor costs or that redo in the middle of the, you know, Lower East Side, you know, that ridiculous space. And you know, 
you know who the artist is, you know she's a woman, you know she's been at great pains as well as her gallery to, for us all to know who she is and how fabulous she is. So that's all part of the package. Isn't that the, isn't that the job of the well, dealer to make us know who she don't, is? Don't is it, her do, work we think it's, do we think it's the dealer or the artist who's responsible for the installation? Because the installation is very considered and seems to be an aesthetic statement in itself, the sculpture, the placement of the neon, the sequence with which we, we encounter the works. That, that I don't think you'd get in a Williamsburg uh, storefront. The, whether, whether it amounts to much or redeems the um, problematic quality of, of the individual works is, is debatable, but um, it seemed to me we got, we got a cogent package for the show. Well, what do you do with that sculpture, actually, now that you mention it? The sculptures are weird. Well, the sculptures didn't uh, appeal to me, but I thought, well, at least she's giving it some thought, and it, it, it might mean something. I was hoping the panel Filling might... Filling the room a little bit. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, what were they, kind of lampposts or noose or, or hang, wood, hang wooden, nooses? Or yeah, strange, strange. I actually heard but the I, gallery girl flogging the merchandise while I was there with a yes. group of collectors. and So one of them is... is a, something that they use apparently at the seaside in England, to, an old thing, ah. to measure water height, would, put, would rest at the bottom of the, right. the ocean floor. And so referencing measure. her childhood in Margate, the seaside town. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. J.M.W. Turner retired and, mm -hmm. and worked on some slightly better watercolors. I don't, I, I don't think it's, um, I don't, taking up something you said, Katie, I don't think it's, um, it shouldn't be neglect, I mean, it's kind of the, the elephant in the room, but, um, that you know she's so fabulous and and this I mean we shouldn't mm. it's no accident that the work is extremely masochistic mm -hmm. you know that it takes feminine masochism as its subject and that mm -hmm. it's you know it it um, I mean I I guess I'm kind of you know hypnotically fascinated and also some you know want to distance myself from confessional mm -hmm. work in that mm -hmm. in that way but um, but you know it's not um, it's not, I guess it's a feminine version of heroism, you know? Possibly. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But no, I guess not. I guess, okay. <laughs> just not. I guess there are, the there are heroic the, the, women. The, it's the, true. The okay, sorry about that. Otherwise. And, and, uh, and also perhaps somebody I mean, like in the Marina Abramovich has perhaps cornered the market in female masochism anyway. And well, so although, yeah. Well, see, she's a heroic yeah. masochist. Indeed. And yeah. self-absorbed. And, and early but I, don't I, don't, I mean, what artist is not self-absorbed? I mean, do you, you know... I'd love to meet I one mean, who isn't, but... Uh, I, I don't mean, there are artists who make work about society, but yes. it's, not a, it's not a... Marina's it's, also done a, uh, done a great deal, actually, to focus attention on the work of other performance artists. So I, yes. I really think and that's... And on, on genocide in ex-Yugoslavia, and on... I mean, I mean no, you know, she uses herself and her body in, in her work, but it doesn't... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's a certain nar it's a narcissism is an occupational hazard. Of Potentially, yes. <laughs> well, narcissism and uh, and, and self-absorption probably do segue nicely into the next show we're going to talk about, which is uh, the work of uh, Sterling Ruby at Foxy Production. Um, uh, Katie, <laughs> what did you find exciting here? <laughs> There was someone when I came into the show, and I stayed a long time there. I like his work, I'll say. And I went to the back room to see some see some ceramics, which are very beautiful, Thanks. and were in the show. And and when I came out, there was also there was someone then who was had already been there when I got there. Mm -hmm. And I thought I didn't find something so exciting, but I thought it was funny. To, I've never seen someone in a gallery for so long. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even the Rothko room. Yes. Yeah. 
It's a free service for New York. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, 42nd Street might be packed up, but Chelsea is going strong. By the way, you know, I, I have to say, I noticed that on this, you know, you kind of notice these things when you're not here regularly and you're visiting periodically with both Tracy Emin and the Sterling Ruby, but also it seemed like there are quite a few other shows around in town. I've never seen so many signs on the door of the gallery saying, uh, yeah, kind of X-rated may not be suitable for mm -hmm. minors. And, and mm -hmm. uh, is that a... Interesting. Is that um, a, a mini trend? Is it possibly uh, in relation to uh, the economic downturn, the need to have uh, mm. more enticing... Uh, ah, you see, you read it purely in terms of enticement rather than yeah. avoiding prosecution. Well, that's Well, that's they very, go hand in hand, don't they? They do, but that's a, a very li a, a liberal perspective, I think. Mm. I mean, uh, uh, or an uh, optimistic perspective. Mm. I, I would thought, wouldn't you agree, Leslie, that um, they, they would simply want to avoid getting into trouble? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I've never been able to enter the mind of an art dealer, really, right. so <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. How about um, the mind of a Roxy, of, 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 of Sterling uh, Ruby? Do, well, what, I have what, to say I found this show this? a total turnoff. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was not erotic in the slightest, and mm -hmm. I don't think it... it I don't know. I mean, I was. I happened to run into a, a very well-known collector when I was there, who was with her husband and, and another man, and she was sort of making a joke, saying, "Oh, you two go on ahead. I'll I'll stay here." You know. <laughs> but um, it's very uh, dry work. Gets wet. Uh, <laughs> well, um, you know, to each their own. But. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's so it's specific in terms of the the just the type of man who's well, in it. You know, you have so many screens, and you you might have had like, you know, one hairy, a sensitive boyish yeah. guy, an yes. old guy, a, you know. Uh, hmm. But they were they were all of one type. It was very minimalist, you know, uh, yeah. in that in that sense. Uh, or monochrome, yes. <laughs> yes, but maybe that's a reflection on on. Two things. Number one, um, what kind of guy is able and willing either to be paid or volunteer to... They're porn stars. They are porn stars. They are porn stars. Yeah. I thought right. they were a rather varied lot, actually, in their... Um, I mean, I did spend a long time looking at it, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, in their varying... They comfort with the situation. They have tattoos. They're, they have they're, tattoos. No, their they're narrative, you know, I mean... There was one What's, guy who just couldn't get it up. Well, I was about to just, say, so you know, most of the guys didn't seem to be yeah. very firm no. much of the time, <laughs> which I'd have thought is a bit of an occupational hazard if you're in their profession, mm. in, their, in their line of business. I don't think they're used to performing in, you know, in stark white rooms with mm. terry cloth towels, yes. and, you know, alone. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned minimalism in jest, but in fact, the earlier work of uh, Sterling Ruby has taken on minimalism in... Uh, Unpornographic uh, ways. Um, what what's his intent? What's the what's the, what's he in business for here? Really, what does this mean, uh, Katie? I mean, I think he, the, the reference to minimalism is deliberate, and I think they're quite deliberately installed the the screens, the yeah. images, and the you know stacked some of that some of them are stacks, and that you see similarity or difference. And he hates Donald Judd. You know, and I think mm. think it's very related to talking about gender and and minimalism. What do you think of Vito Acconci? I 
don't know. Vito Conchi, of course. Yes, yeah, of course. Well, of course, we know. But let's just remind the audience that Vito Conchi had an, uh, an important early performance where he Seed recorded bed. himself um, masturbating under the under a raised um, flooring of the gallery so that when one entered the gallery, one didn't see anything, but one heard a recording of, of him masturbating. Yeah. So there's a clearly an uh, art historical reference there. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I was at... Um, Marina Abramovich's recreation at the Guggenheim of Seedbed. Mm. Um, I don't know if people were there, but, um, and I was, you had to stand on a long line to get to this platform underneath which she was presumably masturbating and you could hear her, um, you could hear her voice. And she was sort of murmuring very sweet nothings. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was saying, oh, I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking, oh, you know. And uh, and I was standing online next to um, Jerry Saltz, and he was saying, "Well, did you do you did you ever read the um, the transcript of Seedbed? Because it's it's incredibly aggressive, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like oh, I'm you know, <laughs> whatever. It's, it's very aggressive fantasies. And I thought of that in relation to Tracy, you know, to the mm -hmm. juxtaposition juxtaposition of these two shows, which you chose for mm -hmm. us to." Talk about well, um, I chose in, consult in consultation yes. with you, the panelists, who, <laughs> some of whom are very keen to talk about those particular shows. They, yeah, yes. but I thought I was going to see ceramic sculptures. <laughs> 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 you had to go to the back room for that, which no. is a very telling t sign of the times. Usually, you have to go to back the room to see <laughs> men jerking off, and the ceramic sculptures are in the front. But uh, this is a somewhat inverted ethic in yeah. the uh, Foxy Productions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the critique of masculinity, obviously, yes. that's front and center. I yes. thought of pr presence more than art history. You know, that the, the uh, white room, the peeling walls, I thought this is something, this is something men and people do in prison, and I thought th there was something sad about, about it. Well, there's that great uh, Genet film. I wonder if that's a reference for him. You know, mm -hmm. did you ever see a, a Chant d'Amour, where mm -hmm. it's um, men in adjoining cells? Um, mm -hmm. Having some kind of erotic, you know, Communication relation relationship. Although they're that, that's much more tender than well, I don't know. also tender. There, there are some very beautiful paintings by Martin Wong on on similar mm -hmm. themes, and and again, very, very tender, not. Yeah, this isn't you know, tender. With this kind of coldness, uh, right? Mm -hmm. This is deliberately brutal yeah. and, mm -hmm. and banal and matter of fact, mm -hmm. and serial. Yes, mm -hmm. so it, it's it. I see it. I mean, I, I see it as either a gambit for attention or a kind of rather clever uh, critique of uh, modernism or serial art. Or, uh, the well, the press release kind of tried to reference it to kind of, I think, a Conchi-style performance mm -hmm. art and not to minimalism or these other things, but I think, yeah, uh, I think it's more interesting anyway if you see it in relation to, to, to minimalism than to, to other performance art. Yes. Yes, much. Well, from all these men together, let's go on to the artist whose career launched with a painting called We Boys Together, um, an artist who made uh, gayness uh, integral to, to his identity as an art and also um, who was, I think, you could say, part of the gay um, liberation movement in, in the work he made. Yeah. Uh, and. I think is historically important and revered in many in different circles for ver for a variety of reasons, but that might be one of them. Uh, David Hockney, uh, we have a large two-part exhibition of his at the 
at two of the three branches of Pace Wildenstein Gallery. Um, and there's no men jerking off here, unless perhaps um, uh, that's the cruel verdict that somebody on the panel may come to about the paintings themselves. That wouldn't be me, however. Uh, Barry, what's your verdict on the paintings? Uh, I have to say, um, I, 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 maybe there's something. I, I, I can say that uh, I, I was almost physically ill to be in the space with those paintings. Mm, really? um, I, I think, um, yeah, I think they're really ghastly paintings. Uh, and now that I'm not in the room with them, I could, I could uh, think of things that are that could be could have been interesting about them and interesting sort of issues. But, but yeah, um, I mean, just all that, all that purple smashed up against all that green and um, mm. you know just absolutely uh, zero um, sensibility in terms of how the, the paint is put down it's just it's just really hard to take yes they are perplexing somewhat in language both in relation to Hockney's own evolution and in relation to a host of other artists of work today for whom forests and trees and uh, nature um, are their motif, you know, um, whether from uh, Alex Katz and Lois Dodd to um, Anselm Kiefer and uh, Per Kekabu, uh, just to name a couple of instances at different extremes of the geography and also um, style, Wayne Thiebaud as well. Um, Leslie, did you have uh, feelings of nausea in this gallery? Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't want to talk about David Hockney because um, I feel people, you know, it's just everyone talks about David Hockney. And well, uh, he not, was not, a, hmm. this was not on my, it was not, I thought, uh, you know that, I, and I'd seen the pic. I I had not been to the shows, but I'd seen the pictures in um, the Times and in other publications. And I thought, oh, these look hideous. And um, and then uh, and I, you know, in my when I have reviewed, uh, which I have done regularly, um, uh, I tend to look for work that is. Um, that not everyone is talking about, unless I just can't, I have, feel I have to say something about it. But um, that being said, I went there and, um, and I actually thought they were quite beautiful in, some, in a kind of jarring way. And once, you know, my, I mean, once I can sort of attach a narrative to it, I can, you know, I guess it's, it's a form of critical narcissism, you know, if I think, oh, I can write something about this, you know? <laughs> then I'm sort of won over by the work. And, um, and I felt that, it, that they were, um, you know, meditations on mortality, uh, many of them, and on, you know, sort of, I, I, w I had read the catalog, uh, Lawrence Wexler's uh, essay in the catalog on his work, and he, t he talks about, you know, going, driving, going back and driving through this landscape to visit a dying friend, and then also his mother's death and his mother's ashes being scattered in the landscape. And, you know, it's kind of an obvious reading, of course, you know, the, the tree stump. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I did, I did think they were rather, um, 
I did think they were rather beautiful and compelling. Some of them, I, I, couldn't, I didn't, couldn't get the cartoony ones, mm -hmm. you know, which they were interesting visually, but I, didn't, I couldn't quite make sense of them. Like almost those Chicago school mm -hmm. kind of crazy, you know, yeah. craziness with the... With the right. The, 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 yeah. Well, um, Katie, uh, Leslie complains that everyone is talk, can talk about David Hockney, or uh, I find actually the opposite, that what you get about David Hockney are interviews or... Uh, feature writing by uh, close friends like Larry Wexler has been writing about him for many years and just brought out a whole book of his reflections on Hockney. And what actually is rather rare is to find four art critics around a table mm -hmm. just talking about the work. So let's exploit that opportunity and just say we've got two pretty divergent views there. Somebody felt nauseous and another person thought they were strangely beautiful. Um, of course, the two are not incompatible. The sublime is an experience... <laughs> of nausea, where one uh, <laughs> is overwhelmed by the beauty or strangeness of nature. Is, is that the experience you had with David Hockney? That's really stretching. <laughs> I have to say I was nauseated. That's, I fall on that side. There was one painting I thought was OK when you walk right in to the 25th Street gallery, and the one to the right, right by the desk. I thought, oh, that's OK. Like, I like the way it's that it's really sort of. a really long one? No, no, the... just a, it's small. It was a vertical, and you, it was to your right when you walked in. So then the stump sort of fell apart into the sticks. There were sticks in the foreground, and they sort of fell apart and became sort of abstract strokes. But otherwise, it was, it was not good. And I, again, I felt like the, the, the outlay of resources, the 35,000-foot studio, the cladding, on the, like a, it, the amount of paint, just like a, how much paint was that? It, it was, it's, and it was so bad. Right. Well, one yeah. thing, it did fill that space. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a big, that's, you know, they, there's well, two they, spaces. They built but, those galleries Yeah, so they built those galleries. They, that, have they, to, they have to fill them. Yeah. But the plein air, you know, it's supposed to be both like the erotic sketch for Tracy Emin, too, yeah. and then him with the plein air. It's like, oh, plein air. And, you know, it's yeah. so crazy. It's new again. And, but it's, these are little slight things that are meant to be lovely and sort of tossed off and, and to have made something so... Like it's like a Hummer. It's like a Hummer plein air. It's so horrible. What, what, what was curious to me uh, was uh, the, having the drawings in there with the paintings, because actually the the charcoals. The, yes. Yeah, the drawings seem to or were drawings of the same motifs, obviously uh, that you see in the paintings. But they they could have been drawings. They could have been. You do need to use the mic, sorry. Well, uh, you know, uh, can you turn up the, <laughs> the volume on the mic? But um, the uh, drawings could ha easily have been by a different artist. Right. Well, the, several of the paintings could have been as yeah, well, couldn't they? Weird. There's not a uniform hand throughout these. Katie no. pointed out to the, the, the strange, ex no, Leslie, sorry, to the very strange exoticism of some of the plants that you don't, I think, see in North Yorkshire usually. And um, you, you'd be lucky to see them in California. Uh, one could also you know, point to the light that, that Hockney finds in England, which is a very Californian, Southern Californian light. Um, uh, the, it's, it's bizarre to me that an artist uh, as well-known, as accomplished in, in his early work, uh, and, and some of his more recent work as well, um, should be uh, so all over the place in handwriting and style as, as these paintings represent. But, of course, in other artists and contexts, um, 
that kind of diversity is something that today is, is very celebrated. So we're not really applying necessarily the same criteria. I mean, there seems to be this, there seems, I seem to get the hint from my colleagues here on the table that if you're painting landscapes, um, they ought to be delicious and dashed off, Katie's suggesting. They ought to be um, in, a, in a uniform and credible hand, and they ought no, to be no, pleasing. No, I'm, I'm not putting that out as a, as a criterion at all. I'm just, in fact, I would say almost the opposite. The, the, the difference between the drawings and the paintings convinced me of how mm -hmm. deliberate he was about yes. the choice mm -hmm. to do of language to, to mm -hmm. do the paintings in in that way, and he could have he could easily have done them mm -hmm. uh, in another manner, but. Yes. And in a sense, that contributed to to my f feeling of of the the kind of aggressive stance that was involved mm -hmm. in the kind of declaration that the, the paintings are going to be like this, mm -hmm. yes. like it or not. Mm -hmm. But the paintings, the paint handling does differ enormously from from one group of paintings to the next. Um, there, there's some which have almost a sort of pastel feel. There's some mm -hmm. which have a uh, a little bit of pointillism going on. There right. are some which have this exotic for, uh, flora, which is, uh, makes it look almost like uh, Philip Guston mm -hmm. or some of the Chicago painters. Right. There's others where you, it looks like uh, a student of Neil Welliver has done the foreground and a student of a student of Alex Katz has done the background. Maybe they did. Uh, and then Katie's <laughs> raising the possibility that maybe they did. Um, uh, none of them, they do look the Hockney landscape that they relate to is that strange and um, I thought, frankly, absurd uh, painting of the Grand Canyon that was exhibited mm. at London's Royal Academy several years ago. It took up a huge gallery space there and was the subject of much press attention in England at the time. Mm -hmm. um, again, relating to some of the strange ideas that Hockney, or the mm. ideas that Hockney has uh, about optics and about um, uh, camera Scorers, etc. Um, we've talked about Tracy Eamon not having anything to do in her middle age, which is uh, <laughs> apparently starts in forty, which is rather disturbing. But um, what about Hockney? Is he floundering, uh, or is is he uh, perhaps making works that make us nauseous now, but are going to have to force us to rethink? I thought he was deliberately reaching in some. I don't, and I don't know if, if this is right, but in his old age, for some kind of, you know, I mean, obviously some kind of grandeur, but also it was some of the references to Van Gogh and the, the handling uh, of the late Monet were so overt. I thought it was really yeah. tedious to be seen as the grand old master going back home. You know, it was very. I thought right. it was very conscious. It seemed <laughs> like of constructive of that. Do, do you think like he stump, thinks? Like do we think that he thinks that? Um, his bravura badness or his way of doing things is the new quality and integrity, or is it? Uh, is there some sort of game playing? Um, do, 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 do I don't understand What's the question. Okay. Is is this is he is this is his intention a good painting, um, or is his intention does his intention have something of the? Bearing in mind he comes from pop in his personal evolution. Is there a da-da in his um, cack-handedness, uh, eccentricity, naivete? We haven't really talked about naivete. I mean, this is not, there are so many models to follow in accomplished, uh, perceptive, perceptual landscape painting. 
And he seems to be making it up as he goes along. And there seems to be a knowing naivete. Now, what's that about? Why? We know that this is the guy who painted men in the showers, swimming pools with splashes, uh, who was able to uh, pursue a photorealism to a very high degree of finesse. Uh, we know this is a guy who's obsessed by optics and so on and so forth, and who's used photography in an experimental way at, at some point. Um, and we, what, he, well, he, he could do anything he wants, couldn't he? Why he, is he doing this? He can't hear very well anymore. And he is, I think, finding life in Southern California. It helps to hear when you, you know, if you're going to live in society. And uh, I think it's a reclusive, you know, it's... it's, it's you mean he can't hear criticism, or what is, what is, what is why is <laughs> no, he No, no, I mean, I think he's withdrawn. That? He's sort of withdrawn from, yes. um, from that kind of Hollywood life. And uh, his dachshund died, I read that, <laughs> you know, I which was his last tie to Los Angeles. These landscapes and are, mo are almost all painted in, he in moved, England. Yes, he living. moved to his uh, mother, to the motherland. And, yes. um, you know, I mean, I think, is that... Is, that's not really answering my That's question, not your which question, is why though. is he painting in a naive style? Oh, why is he painting it? Yeah. Barry, can I you overcome know. your I nausea to address that issue? Uh, you know, I think the only good paintings, really, that he made were those very early ones, which were really, really kind of brilliantly... The buffet-type ones, the boys holding hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typhoon tea. Hmm? Ones with Typhoon tea in them and, and things like that. Uh, I don't know about the Typhoon tea, but anyway, the... the you know, the ones that he made just when he was kind of coming out of school. Right. And um, they were kind of brilliantly raw and seemingly crude, but in a sophisticated way. But then uh, when he started doing those really, uh, then what I kind of think of, I'm sure there's other things in between, but the next thing I think of are those really kind of tight uh, California mm -hmm. paintings that are like, uh, it, they're they're very kind of thin and dry, and you you feel like hmm. every everything has been kind of measured, and it's it's actually almost the opposite of his earlier. It seems very kind of uptight and mm -hmm. uh, repressed, mm -hmm. um, and maybe he just is sort of sick of that kind of aesthetic mm -hmm. and just wants to kind of hang loose and be be funky and not actually, uh, you know, not actually give a crap about whether it's sensitive or whether anybody thinks it's good or... Uh... Right. I sense he's a man of uh, considerable ambition who'd like in 300 years' time people to say, I have a, a Titian, I have mm -hmm. a Cezanne, and I have a Hockney. Mm -hmm. I, th I don't think... I think that's mm -hmm. not an exaggeration of probably how he feels when yes. he paints mm -hmm. his paintings. Right. He's not hanging loose and making the glimpses happy. He's, he's painting for the ages. Now, uh, he's making some decisions which are very bizarre. Mm -hmm. But can we, we, well, I guess I'm not he's, with three people who want to find the reason. But you can't, just but I, guess. Mm, you know, it's yes. hard to yes. just guess why. You can see that this is the yes. condition, but it's hard to say why. Right. Well, his, his whole rewriting the history of art was kind of a naive... Uh, I mean, there was a certain naivete to that project as well, that, yes. you know, that optical, mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. they were all using optical mm -hmm. devices, and, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, oh, <laughs> you know? 
the whole of art history got it wrong. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, mm -hmm. you know, why not make tabula rasa and start again mm -hmm. with, I mean, just to revert to landscape, you know. Mm. I mean, you, you mentioned several, many painters who work with landscape, but landscape painting is not a genre that is at the forefront of contemporary practice. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. in the hands of um, Andy Goldsworthy or, you know, someone who works in the landscape um, in that, in a different okay. way, but. But I mean, everything that he's done for years has been, uh, you know, portraits and uh, all kinds of Flowers. things that are that are mm -hmm. that are not about being in the Hip. forefront of mm -hmm. the avant-garde. I mean, it's yeah, it's just not his, mm -hmm. it's just not his modus operandi to mm -hmm. to to look in that direction. I mean, you can see that Sterling Ruby is someone who comes out of Cal Arts and who comes out of you know, I mean, he comes out of, maybe it's UCLA, I can't remember. He comes out of art school, and it's work that is made for an art audience, largely, except for that guy I saw in the gallery. <laughs> but that, that, that he, both Hockney and Emin are people who want to appeal in some way directly to an audience on some very basic human level that goes around people like us. And so there, when you read the writing about Tracy Emin, and just like you said about David Hockney, there's almost no serious writing about either mm. one, a very limited amount, no, while there's already yes. reams on Sterling, Sterling mm. Ruby, mm. so that not caring, I think, is, or as related to, about like how art critics think about your handling, is related mm. to that idea of going back to a genre that's very broad and very popular, like portraits, that's landscapes. It's something that, that regular people recognize as art. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. Great. Well, it's interesting that we've, I, unintentionally, we seem to have paired the first pair yes. of shows we've looked at involved uh, masturbation. The second pair of shows we're looking at, not that they're intended as a pair, do involve naivete of some way. Um, Sharon Horvath uh, showing at uh, uh, Laurie Bookstein Gallery. There's one painting that we saw um, that's actually dedicated to Ramirez and who's, who's that... Uh, Outsider artist who showed a couple of, who was shown rather a couple of years ago at the uh, Folk Art Museum uh, in in Manhattan. So um, naivete, what's going on? What what does uh, is, is her naivete easier to read? Is it a more legible intention, uh, Katie? Would you agree with me firstly in the analysis that there's a very naive handling, and would you uh, care to say what what the, what that handling means to you? I mean, any, I think na any naivete there is, is affected or put on. I mean, and not in a bad, not affected in a bad way. But she's obviously someone who's completely steeped in painting culture and interested in abstract painting and what people think about it and how you do it and all the different varieties of it. So it's quite different. She's, she's someone who paints for other people who love painting, which I think is not what Hockney is doing. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there, I mean, uh, there's, there's, there's a kind of tremendous uh, visual culture there to draw on, which includes various manifestations of outsider art and naive art, but also includes uh, Persian miniatures and um, uh, medieval manuscript illuminations and um, all, all kinds of tremendously sophisticated um, forms of expression and then things that are in between like I, I think even there's to my mind there's a bit of Maury Sendak in there somewhere um, you know which is uh, kind of something sophisticated for for 
people who are not necessarily so sophisticated. Or so it's, young, it's, yes. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, she draws on, on many, many different levels. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't emphasize the, the reference to uh, naive. I wouldn't painting. say that naivete is a reference. I'd say it's a facet. Um, uh, the, you, the, the things you mention are references, but I, I think that it's so intrinsic to her handling mm. of, uh, of both her handwriting and also the structure of space in her mm. work what do you that mean it's very by difficult. I'm sorry. Sorry? What do you mean by, naive, by naivete in her work? Oh, it's, 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 this, it's the way that people... It's, it's the look of outsider art or oh. self-taught art, and it's a sort of um, awkwardness of handling and um, a, a, a kind of sense of um, convincing deep space that's nonetheless non-perspectival and um, relates, I think, within our culture very strongly to, to the outsider and primitive uh, oh, tradition. I see. You meant also, formal elements of the work that reference... Mm. I'm, I'm yeah. resisting the use of the word reference because oh. that suggests that it's a kind of a postmodern reading of, 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 of Paul Bath's work. But look, in which is, look is, when you said look, it has the look of naivete, which is different from her being naive herself. Well, we know she's not, a, yeah. she's not an outsider artist. Yeah. I mean. we, we, we suspect she's not an outsider artist because of her distinguished record of teaching and showing. But um, on the other hand, that's context. <laughs> That if we look at the work, uh, no, they do feel I naive. Think, I don't think, you know, I, I understand what you're saying because I think that there there is um, there is naive a, to me. there is yeah. something about that, particularly in the smaller paintings, mm. a kind of um, fiddly awkwardness. Uh, but but no no untrained uh, painter has ever put down paint uh, in the manner that she does. She has a very Particular um, subtleties, nuances. Uh, well, uh, subtleties, and nuances, yes, but also no, just a, a, a methodology for for mm-hmm. for making the paintings that that looks to me to be very uh, oblique and um, and to take a lot of uh, pre-thinking in order to to mm-hmm. to accomplish. It's not. It's not kind of bluntly and directly um, mm-hmm. just slapped down uh, paint in the way you see in some of the Hockney paintings, for instance. Right. I guess what would definitely make them not naive is that she doesn't have an inner vision that is necessarily that it's that she has some need to put down. But in a modernist, abstract way, their images evolve in the process of their own making. Um, uh, oh, like a, uh, like mm. a kind of automatism, you mean? Like a sort of um, no, the opposite. Like actually. a surrealist uh, notion of no. Actually, I meant the opposite. That uh, that, that, that that they are composed images, and that oh. in the process mm. of painting is is what accounts for how they eventually look. But don't let the panel get too hung up on my insistence on this naive reading. I'd I'd like to hear Leslie. What was your response to the paintings? Did you enjoy them? Um. I thought they were very beautiful, and um, I'm not, I, I don't tend to write about abstract painting, um, but I, I certainly enjoyed looking at them, and, I, and uh, I thought they were very suggestive. 
and um, and you know, and I couldn't neglect. I mean, Barry, you said that you have to neglect the conditions of production in when you when you look at work, and to a certain extent, that's true. But I couldn't, you know, I couldn't help but be aware, looking at the Hockney show and looking at this show, that this is someone who has again, you know, worked in years, and I mean, she's had a certain amount of recognition, but. It's not Pace Gallery showing her work, and it's not, you know, and one has a hard time thinking of her at Pace Gallery, even, you know, mm -hmm. like how that would, how would that change the work, you know, if you had to produce it to fill that space as opposed to a more intimate space. Well, funny enough. Sienna, so they yeah, I was about to, yes, yeah. if they yes, could hang know, next to but, but on the other hand, you know. On the other hand, both, his, uh, both. You know, what have his shows been like yeah, at Pace, okay. you know? Both yeah. James Sienna and Sharon Horvath have recently begun to produce uncharacteristically large paintings. And uh, Hers the gallery... Hers are much better than his. His were not good, which is, and I thought, this, I love the, the smaller work, and I thought her big paintings were better than her smaller paintings, which yes. I think is quite yeah. unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Really, I liked the small paintings in the back room as much, at least, mm. as the... I, I, I find the, the smaller ones, uh, they're very good also, but somehow uh, there's, there's a kind of charm to them that, that gets in between me and something more essential in the work. Mm -hmm. And I thought with the, the large-scale paintings, uh, you, you have more of a sense of, indeed, the, the largeness of her, her view of, of things. Yes, yes. Um, Points of reference, then, Katie. You're you're writing on abstract expressionism. Um, uh, this is this is a long way from any kind of action painting. It's a long way from color field. I, I guess among contemporary artists, the the closest that I can immediately respond to among abstract painters would be someone like Amy Silman. And yet, I would think of them much more comfortably in the company of a realist painter like Sarah McEnany. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what are her peers, and what would help us locate her aesthetic in terms of peerage? Um, I guess I wouldn't think, so yeah, I wouldn't think back, backwards to abstract expressionism, but like you might think, oh, there was a show called Remote Viewing a couple of years ago at the Whitney, and yeah. there were people like, and there were much people who, like I probably know what you mean, <laughs> Leslie, in about a, you know, where you see them, and these were people who were selling much more, so yeah. they were better, but maybe better known. Steve DiBenedetto. Steve DiBenedetto, like like yeah. Franz Ackerman, mm -hmm. you know, Julie Moretto, Matthew Ritchie, hers is a different, but it's yes. that same micro-macro thing, yes. and the same mm -hmm. abstraction that turns into something else, and that might be related to cosmography, or, you know, whatever. So I would mm -hmm. put her in, in, that, in that group, and that's a very large group, much larger than mm. was in the show. Yeah. Right. I don't think of her so much as an abstract painter. It's, it was, mm -hmm. I was a little bit surprised to hear you make that the, the kind of the, the rubric. Um, I thought I, was, I, mm -hmm. I, I see her work always as, I mean, I almost call her a symbolist, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah. there's, 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 yes, there's a certain degree of, of abstracting from, mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of a kind of, transformation mm -hmm. uh, almost alchemical of of things that she has in her mind but they always seem very at heart very image based mm -hmm. to me and um, uh, it's funny you met you kind of with some of the Hockney paintings you, you I think you mentioned a possible connection to Chicago imagist but you know the 
Chicago imagists did things that were very intricate and mm-hmm. had a lot of patterning and um, and I could see almost more of an affinity surprisingly with her work to that but also I think maybe uh, again to other kind of better remunerated artists like Peter Doig and uh, Chris Ophelia mm-hmm. um, mm. if you but among those artists, there's, a, there's always, um, there's usually a robustness and a, a, a slickness will be an unkind word to use, but um, um, a wholeness, uh, um, and that, that you look, they look like a, a well-crafted product. There is, uh, I always find in Horvath, um, something reticent and, mm, yeah. and and also ambiguous in also the way in in the layering, mm-hmm. which is much quieter and a little melancholy. Um, mm. and, and less of a product and more of a sort of artist's artist type of approach. I mean, mm. Tom Noskowski also comes to mind in the way that they're mm. pictorial rather than big paintings, mm. even despite their scale, the new scale. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's that strange relationship of, of um, a hand which is almost illustrative to a composition mm-hmm. which is um, bigger in every sense. Well, um, heroic panel that's tackled four such diverse shows. I'd thank them before turning to you, the audience, to see what, what you have to say. But it's a good moment, I think, to thank our panel for the evening. <laughs> Wonderful. We have a, a roving mic, and now we're going to try to go back in our... We're going to do uh, the first two shows and then the second two shows. So comments on either Tracy Emin or Sterling Ruby first, please, if there are, if there are some. Yes, Lady there. Um, what I wanted to uh, say is about Tracy Emin and uh, the comments that were about her being middle-aged and how she was going to deal with this. And recently I saw her reading um, downtown at... I can't remember where it was. Eldridge Street the Uh, University Settlement House or something. And uh, what I would say that she brought to that um, was a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. She did read basically from her work, but her personality and the way she presented had a lot of humor in it. And uh, I thought that that's how she was dealing with her uh, going through this transition in her age. Thank you. Great. Love to hear some responses to, to how people <coughs> felt about her show and, and Sterling Ruby's. Um, anyone got any insights to, sh- to share in, in, in Ruby and uh, um, what he opened up for them? No, well, then, then let's hear what you have to say on uh, Hockney. What was uh, some views on Hockney? Yes, the lady here in red. Yeah. Uh. Um, looking at each show in turn, I had the feeling that I was, um, and when I think about it now, uh, that I was looking at somebody doing a parody, and it was a parody that you mentioned pointillism. I thought of Surat, and I thought of Van Gogh, and I thought of Walt Disney a little bit, and it was a parody, as I think a lot of his work has included, a kind of ironic uh, view of the society he lives in and uh, uh, it was a light heart. It was more of a, a, a lighter attitude than the uh, Sharon Horvath, which is serious, um, contemplating about all these uh, references she puts into it. But I definitely, the word parody 
uh, came mm. to mind. A sort of jocular characteristic, yes. Anyone else find that uh, want to defend Hockney in terms of parody or, uh, yeah? Yeah, um, on the Hockneys, I mean, if you take it back to your Typhoon Tea and stuff, th these seem sim more similar to me to um, three dignitaries in semi-Egyptian style from about 65. I mean, he's always been sort of heavy-handed. I mean, and these sort of, to me, look as if they came out of his stage props and with the Grand Canyon mm. piece, which is really about a movable perspective, which is what he's doing in the early photographs. I mean, I, you know, this, these multiple panels, you know, uh, besides just being easily moved, they're also about that idea that you, you're looking at each panel individually. So I don't think he's quite as dumb as he's being pointed out to be. And, and, the, and the multiple handling, he's always, in my mind, done that. So. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yes, beh lady behind. Since he, since he did a lot of stuff with technology about camera and camera work and laying that out, do you think he was messing around with Photoshop and all of the different little goofy things you can throw at a picture and then painting it? Or I something think so like he that? Was. Some of the color came from... Uh, he's done a lot of work now with a special software that you can download. I keep meaning to do it, and I keep forgetting to do it. You can download something to your, uh, is it called, uh, to your iPhone. What's it called? Does anyone remember? I doodle or I, I, I don't uh, know. Paint box or something. You can actually paint with your finger on your iPhone. Um, brushes. Uh, brushes, it's called. Right. And he brushes. forwards them to he forwards special them. lucky people. Lucky yes. Yes. <laughs> he was a pioneer of fax. He was one of the first people to send color faxes. and. Certain of his collector friends had to run out on, as soon as they were available and buy um, uh, plain paper faxes uh, so that they could preserve them for posterity. But yes, uh, I saw some uh, vigorous nodding from uh, a Pace Bordenstein employee sitting in front <laughs> of you. So the lady, I think, has, has hit upon something that the panel overlooked, which is the photoshopaholic element in, in New Hockney. And so how about Sharon it's Horvath? Big. Anybody like to share some, some feedback with us on the last show we were looking at, which is Sharon Horvath at, um, at Laurie Bookstein? Um, it was wonderful. It <laughs> was wonderful. Okay, that's a nice, always a nice note to end on. We're not going to get more positive than that. So ladies and gentlemen and panel, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Glad you could make it. I'm sorry. No, no, I didn't mean to scare you. Oh. I just thought I hadn't heard. You know, usually people write.